It was the dawn of the third age of podcasting, 12 years after the B5 premiere. The Babylon podcast was a dream given form. Its goal, to discuss Babylon 5 episodes, arcs, and implications, to interview the cast and crew about their experiences and memories. It's a home away from home for fanboys, geek girls, and lurkers. It can be a silly place, but it's our last best hope for B5 fans. This is the podcast about the story of the last of the Babylon stations. The year is 2006. The name of this show is the Babylon Podcast. Welcome back to the Babylon Podcast year-end holiday extravaganza. I am Summer Brooks. I am Stilton Calendar. Oh, 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 Sounds like somebody switched it's, uh, from tequila to wild turkey. Oh, come on. It's, hey, give me my chance here. It's, yeah. Yeah. Oh, 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 oh. So, He's still recovering uh, from New Year's. Uh, Oh man! From last year, oh. <laughs> it Michael is. was so mean to me off mic there when we turned the camp, the microphones off. He right yeah. away was like, "We're not allowed to talk to Gosh because he's drunk right now." <laughs> and I'm like, "No, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, oh yeah." Yeah. We love you, Jeffrey. And, and why are you surprised? No, you, you were just mean. You were just mean. And I, and you know what? Santa's watching. <laughs> <laughs> Santa God. Oh. <laughs> uh. <laughs> oh, you know, well, you know, <laughs> we could continue on with our amazing uh, run of so- clips. Or I could, we could. Or we could just tell Mike about how much Santa hates him right now. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a lot. Wow. A lot. A lot. <sighs> Santa's pretty hip to that sort of thing, Mike. Uh, my lot in life. I'll never get my new mixer now. Well, and you know how Mike, Mike tried to pick a good word for you. <laughs> Well, Mike, Mike tried to pin it on me, but no. <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't we just leap into these clips then? No, you know, what happened was that uh, when Joe was still working on uh, the mystery series at Universal, uh, when he was producing that, what was it called? Um, uh, Murder, She Wrote? Uh, Murder, She Wrote. Yeah, Murder, She Wrote, right. I had lunch with him there, and we had a discussion about something else. That's right. We had a discussion about something else. Uh, I wanted to involve him in something that I was doing. And he said that he had this series, Babylon 5, and that he had an idea for a scene that I would be in, and he wanted to know my, my take on it. And the scene was, it was really n- not much more than that of an extra, but it was a really funny gag. And that was, what, what was that thing called where everybody congregated in, in, in Babylon 5 at uh, the oh. marketplace? The Zocalo. Zocalo. The Zocalo, Yeah. He said, I'd be sitting there with a couple of other people, and the camera would just pan past me. And I was going to, be, and it would catch me as, I, as, they, as they passed, and catch me saying something on the order of, uh, uh, something, I don't know, some, some allusion to, to, to Russia, something, well, we did the Stephen for Lee in Russia. And I would say <laughs> something like that, and then, and then he'd keep going, and that would be the gag. So I guess, um, and that way, you know, the character would not have an identity. And that would be the end of it. I thought it was hysterical. So I said, sure, I'd be happy to do that. So I knew about it when, I guess I knew about it in the planning stage before it actually went on the air. But um, and I guess it was, I guess it was shortly after it was sold uh, that Joe called me and said that he had a part for me and, uh, and uh, he sent me the script. And I thought it was a terrific role. It's, it was some a very early episode uh, where two people in in the captain's mind uh, play out a scene with him. 
you know, you know what I'm talking about? And it ended mm-hmm. up being a very fine English actor doing the part. Um, but they, the episode uh, turned he, out to be The Sky Full of Stars. Is that what it was? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was probably yeah. that. And uh, so I, I was, he, had, he had told me that I, he had cast me in that role. And I thought it was great. And then, of course, I had that cardiac incident. And I had to call him from the, my hospital room in Chicago and tell him that I wasn't going to be available in, um, I guess it was going to be early September to shoot that, that I would be still recovering. So um, there were a couple of uh, you know, different uh, communications between us, and then he got back to me and said, don't worry about it, I'll write another scene. I'll write another character. And so he wrote, uh, he wrote Bester which, of course, was an extraordinarily fortuitous situation. I mean, this is the, this is the silver lining, you know, in the, in, the, in the dark cloud, because had I done the first role, that might well have been the only appearance that uh, I, I would have made on the show. Hmm. But this was an opportunity to come back and do it several times. That, of course, was the amazing Walter Koenig, who played Bester, and he's recounting how he landed the role of Bester. And I think that was, I think in, in that interview, I let my geek slip. Because <laughs> I, was, I was thoroughly geek to be talking to that gentleman. No, no, that was very cool to have him on board. No no doubt about that. And no, no doubt it was very cool to have his insight on what was going on at the time when he got fired. So that that's actually a very unique perspective that I, don't believe a lot of people have had the opportunity to hear. Yeah. All right, Mike, next one. And that actually leads into the question I was going to ask was, how closely do you work with the directors and the writers when you realize that something has to be cut because of time? Um, there was a lot of cutting of time. Usually uh, the timing really didn't cut, get cut too much by the directors, um, sometimes little scenes, little phrases sometimes would come out. The editors would rarely cut a line or cut for time. They would just cut the script as it was. And then Joe would come in and he would say, okay, how long are we or how short are we? And then he would, in a matter of seconds, predetermine where he was going to cut or add. He would go to, okay, go to scene 49. Okay, mark in, mark out, and take that out. And usually it was pretty seamless. It was amazing how uh, he he could uh, judge the timing of uh, the content of a certain scene and, and be able to extract it and still have the story uh, be fluid and make sense. That was an excerpt from our interview with Skip Robinson, one of the editors who worked on mm-hmm. Five. And there he was recounting, uh, working with... He's Jim such an amazing guy. He's He's so terrific. He's just like a a great human. Just like to be in his presence is a very honorable and cool thing. So to have him on the show was very special. He's such a cool guy. Uh, and yeah. it's nice to hear his words again. You know, he, he he really had the inside scoop on what was going on. And he got to work on the re-release uh, DVD for Forbidden Planet, which was really cool to talk to him about, too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Great you DVD, by the go. way. Yeah, I have to get a hold of it. It was excellent. Nothing but the best for you, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Love Mike, you, next man. one. What's your opinion, then, on how your relationship with uh, Richard came across on camera with the relationship between Dr. Franklin and Marcus Cole? I think the, I think the, the thing... The thing about working with Richard is uh, the thing about working with Richard, sharing a stage with Richard, which, I, which we did many times at conventions just because we liked it and it was easier. And we'd end up doing two hours instead of an hour each just because, I don't know, we both shared that. We both liked it. We both liked um, playing with people. And I don't mean playing with people in a manipulative way, but playing with people, playing with large groups of people. And... Uh, it can be more entertaining 
well, when we were when we were younger, when we started doing the conventions, we used to chase each other around the hall and get angry at each other. But we played on the yin yang aspect because he would be knocking me for my Britishness, and I'd be knocking him for his uh, his incredibly buff appearance and his worked outness. And you know, he's a guy who looks good with his shirt off. <laughs> take your shirt off, Rick, and he would take his shirt off. You take his pants no off. He'd take his pants off. He wasn't shy. <laughs> and let me tell you, and it wasn't a myth, no, he didn't have much cause to be shy, actually. No, he, he didn't. <laughs> no, exactly, I know. I, to, I shared a few hotel rooms with him and his friend. Um, <laughs> that was um, an excerpt from yet another epic interview with Jason Carter, who played Marcus Cole. That one went for two shows. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and um, there he was uh, extolling some of Richard Biggs' virtues, shall we say. See, we here on the Babylon podcast, we get, you know, the untold stories. Is, is somebody ordering dinner? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just work with me here. <laughs> Give me a second here. Work. <laughs> Well, I'll have the cheeseburger. If, 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 if that's what the problem is, just just calm down. Work with me here for a second. Here we're at Casa de Talman, and we're just trying to figure it all out here. <laughs> okay. It's dinner time, and that's what we're doing here. <laughs> Live from the macaroni grill. You know, yeah, exactly. It's not a sterile environment. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you order pasta. We'll do this clip. Okay. How about how working? <laughs> sorry, like how about working with uh, the actors? Were there certain actors who you just really, really clicked with, and then others that were maybe practical jokers? Uh, yeah, both. Um, <laughs> in fact, in fact, the very first show uh, that I did um, in the shadow of Zaha Doom. I came in, and I actually came in well before I was supposed to start prepping. I really wanted to get a sense for the show and the crew and the and the actors. So I came in maybe two, maybe even three weeks beforehand for a couple of days just to get a, get a sense. And I, I watched Jerry, um, you know, joking around with the crew and joking around with the cast, Jerry Doyle, and he was he was always complaining in this episode that I was watching being shot about how the prop guys never had any left-handed props. <laughs> Everything was always for, <laughs> for right-handed actors. <laughs> so when I came on, on my first show, I, I, I went to the, the, the prop guys and I said, look, would you make a left-handed com? And, and um, I think that's what it was called, wasn't it? The, the yeah, whole, yeah. The <laughs> yeah, I said, would you make a left one that's left-handed? I'd like to give it to Jerry on the first day. And on the first day, he comes on, and he's like, you know, Mr. Big, I'm, I'm the big guy on the set. Who's this new guy, the director and everything? And I hand him this comp. And I said, you know, I just wanted you to know I had this made for you. And he looked at it. He almost burst into tears. That and he didn't, but he almost did. That somebody cared enough to do something like that. And he was my friend from from then on. <laughs> um, that is from our interview with director David Eagle. Yes. And there he is talking about, uh, obviously Jerry Doyle, but just getting along with the rest of the the cast. I noticed something. There was a there was a a large proportion of left-handed actors on that show. Wow. And being left-handed, I just noticed, noticed these things. <laughs> I just noticed that uh, you know if if all it took was to make some left-handed props to win some friends, hell, I would have done that long ago. <laughs> 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 and it's too late now, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's way too late now. <laughs> Thank you, David. <laughs> Next one, Michael. Joe gave me copies of the blooper reels to take to conventions. Nice. So, so I got invited to conventions as a guest. That was way cool. 
<laughs> you know, but then, you know, you wouldn't let the film out of your sight because would you like Joe saying, what happened to the film? <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm sure there's a certain amount of uh, uh, fear. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because, you know, they're, they're, they're one of those things that, you know, you'd, you'd see one show up on eBay and you go, where did that come from? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not mine. <laughs> I have mine. Yeah. It's been in my possession. <laughs> You know, yeah. and the excuse a pack of people dressed as Minbari got me drunk, and I don't know what happened next doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> All right. uh, that was a fun interview with Sandra Bruckner, who was um, has been a fan since before the beginning mm-hmm. of Babylon Five. Actually, oh yeah, oh yeah. I noticed though how Summer fit right in there. I mean, she kind of knew the, the the talk, and she knew how to slide right in as being one of the drunken idiots that would have possibly propelled an intellectual property beyond its legal capabilities. Mm-hmm. Only for you my know. personal gain. I would never have put it on eBay. Yeah, I yeah exactly. I would have kept it for myself uh, for bragging rights. <laughs> Look what I have and you don't. Uh-huh. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't even bother trying to compete on that playing field. Uh-huh. Hey! I'm really outclassed. <laughs> you give Summer an inch, you know. <laughs> and she'll take your blooper reel. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, well, are you aware of the, at one point that we, we, we were making copies of some of the... There's some kind of ornamental, almost hieroglyphs that were done in like a, a latex or a rubber on the, the clothing part of it that we were kind of attached as trim, we had to duplicate that at one point. Um, I forgot what season it was. But we took molds of it. We started finding in the hieroglyphs that there were actually hidden people's names in it that I think worked on the crew for the previous scene. And they kind of worked in their names as these very stylized graphics. I guess this is a little signature here and there. Which we, and I think we'd been handling the suit for two or three years at that point, and nobody ever bothered to look at it at that level of detail. So I don't know if we even knew that or not. <laughs> oh, Jeffrey? We where did Jeffrey go? Uh, you know, uh, no, I'm sorry. I was just having a moment there. You know, yeah, no, I, I think that was when uh, I do that more and more these days, actually. Remember, you, you got to bring Somebody's actually silenced the Vorla. That's impressive, yeah. John. It, it's, you know, it's good to, if you're going to, you should bring, should share with everyone else, if, you know, whatever you're doing. It's not polite to support it for yourself. Okay, come on. It's early. Uh, um, this usually doesn't start until about 25, 30 minutes into the show. That's when they start backing <laughs> on me. That's when the Alzheimer's um, in. Oh, uh, that was... Uh, <laughs> Ouch! Yeah, <very> Ouch! <laughs> yeah. Ouch! Just so that you have reminded, Jeffrey, that it's not just simply tonight. <laughs> no, it's not. And you know what? I know John, and I love John, and the fact that he pulled one over my head like that... <laughs> That's kudos to him because, yep, busted, totally busted. <laughs> <laughs> that was, of course, John Vulich of uh, Optic Nerve Studios, and there he was talking about uh, reworking the uh, Kosh costume. No, that uh, was that was good stuff. Yeah, it's, that was good fun. That was, that was a fun hey, yeah. You know, before we go too much further, I just want to say kudos to you, Tim, for pulling all these clips together because. This is a really, really, really fun show. It's fun to listen to all this stuff well, in this kind of, of, of method, you know, where you hear the bits yeah. and pieces of, of the best stuff. Good job, yeah. Tim. Good job on well, you. Well, uh, um, kudos also go to Michael R. Menengay, our, our godlike engineer, because he actually <laughs> had to... I had to sit and listen to all this stuff for three days, and yes, I did it at work, and yes, productivity suffered. For the last three days. I was going to ask you um, about that. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I was, work work uh, paid you to do this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Plausible deniability. There you go. <laughs> um, but no, Mike, Mike has done a fine job of actually going through and, and pulling out these clips. He, he has as Herculean a task as I did. I just had to put up with my own voice listening to it and, and, and you know, sifting through it. And part of the problem is I'd start getting lost in the interviews. And then I'd have to shake myself and realize that, you know what, I'm supposed to be marking my in times and my out times to feed that to Mike. 
And um, and some of the interviews just kind of would go on. You know, people would start on a subject in, at point A and end up at point Z. <laughs> and I'm like, going, wow, this is all interesting, but this is 15 minutes. We can't play that. So, anyways. <laughs> so well, we, we do. With Mike as well. Yeah. And Mike, <laughs> please, play the next clip. Go ahead. We had this uh, small group of people, particularly at the Kennedy Space Center, um, avid fans of the show, um, just truly drawn to the realism that you spoke of, uh, the fact that, you know, you, you could see the real thing happening. We had, you know, little things that, uh, things make noise in space and stuff like that, but, you know, <laughs> it's Hollywood, we had to forget beyond that aspect, but we um, had a group of people who, being avid fans uh, and having access at that time through uh, various sources to next week's episode of Babylon 5, would call a Code 7R, and if phones, uh, fans of the show will know what that is. We'd call it Code 7R and send out an email with a cryptic room number and uh, a time invested in it, and uh, that was our lunch hour. We would sit and watch uh, next week's episode because we were just too anxious not to wait until Friday night. Now, did anyone at NASA EarthGov ever catch on to what a Code 7R was? Um, I, If they did uh, and they were fans of the show, they probably joined us surreptitiously. <laughs> Uh, if they didn't know what it is, it sounds official enough that we probably got away with it. <laughs> that was uh, from our fun interview with Louise Kleba, who's living the dream. She works at NASA as a payload specialist, right, Jeffrey? Payload, uh... Yeah, that's right. Uh, Louise is, is just like one of the great humans on the planet, and um, her efforts at NASA are beyond reproach and... I think of Louise all the time, and if I can have the opportunity to geek out, I mean, even just this week, I watched the space station fly over Los Angeles, <clears throat> not just the space station as I've seen so many times before, but it was the space station flying over Los Angeles with the space shuttle attached to it yep. with, on top of that, two astronauts hanging out on a spacewalk about to ingress back into the station. So I had a very, very, very cool uber geek moment this week when, when that occurrence happened, when I was able to watch the station with the shuttle with two astronauts hanging out of it go over. And I, I made great effort last night, just this past evening, to watch them fly over once again where the shuttle and the station had separated and see both of them fly by, but sadly I was on the 101 at just about Universal Studios uh, as as they flew over, and I was damn near caused an accident on the freeway, but managed not to. But I, I want you to know I tried like hell to try and see those guys, but um, yeah. Anyway, uh, that was that was very special to have Louise on board, and I, I'm glad I'm grateful that she did that podcast with us. Oh, yeah, we are too, definitely. All right, Mike, next one. Oh, so boy. You earned the nickname of Snack Man. <laughs> well, doing food is funny. Okay. I mean, you know, you're just doing snack things, right? What have you. Uh, but you got to understand that, uh, okay, we had a caterer. Okay, a real okay, in the industry, uh, they have a caterer that comes in and feeds you every six hours. That's the law. That's the law of the motion picture industry. If you're going to go over, you know, do a six hour or over six hours, you really got to have a caterer come in, a real classified caterer, and he'll do breakfast, lunch, or dinner, or whatever you prescribe. But they do it every six hours. But you know what? The story goes like this. People have to eat between three and four hours, every three or four hours. You know what I mean? If you eat three or four hours later, you're going to be hungry. Okay? So that's where craft service, is what it's called, gets into play. And basically, it's a snack thing. Okay? 
Um, and when I came into this, it was like, okay, cool. Uh, I didn't realize quite what I was doing. I just thought it was just another show. And you do the basics in the morning. You know, you do your bagels and things like that. Uh, continental breakfast, basically. Well, it's like six hours later till the lunch. So I got to do something more. Okay, so you have to do something like three or four hours. Okay, so here it comes. What do you do? So you go, okay, I'm hungry. Me, particularly. I'm hungry. What am I going to do? What do I want? <laughs> then again, I got to think about, I got 150 people to feed. <laughs> Sometimes we had background. Sometimes it was 250 people. <laughs> so what do you do? Okay, and you have so much money to spend the budget. That's the way it works. What do you do? Okay. So, you go, okay, I'm hungry. <laughs> All right, let's do a chicken wing thing. Let's do some chicken wings. Okay. Hey, do you guys familiar with the trays that a that they would have in a hotel? Like a, like a, what, what are the people in the hotel bringing? Those are huge trays. are like four feet long by three right. feet across, right? right? Now, those are, you're just doing a snack, right? But you gotta feed 150 people, so it's not exactly a snack. You gotta fill that tray. I'm not kidding. It's a four foot long by three foot wide and a foot and a half tall of chicken wings. Ah, sounds good, yeah? Now listen, you gotta do sauces. Let's do garnish. You got 150 people. Not everybody likes ranch dressing. <laughs> You gotta throw it all out, dude, and you gotta make it right because you got a classification of people. You've got crew members who don't really don't care; they're just hungry. Okay, I'm not kidding. When you're hungry, you're hungry. But then you got a classification of principals who we call the cast and or the cast, the actors and actresses who we call principals. So you got to be delicate about what you do. Now, personally, a PB&J would just suit me fine. No, you just, just don't do that for that many people. you got to get a little flamboyant. You really do. And you know what? When you're on a set for 14, 16 hours a day, you got to think about it. Let's get flamboyant. Let's get hot. So we make it as best, I would make it as best as I could. And the best part about it was my mom. You know, moms are great. Because moms have been around a lot longer than you have, and they know what food, they know the stuff. They fed you. <laughs> My mom was Polish. What do you expect? <laughs> and you know what? That was the shortest sound bite I could pull out of that. Oh, oh man. That, oh, my God. <laughs> that was the single single best interview ever in all time, no matter what, hands down, can't compare. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. My thumbs hurt. That was one listening to it. I never knew. I, I generally, you know, I worked up a list of about four or five sound bites and then, you know, out of that picked the most representative one and pass it on to Mike. That was one I never knew quite where to start or stop. <laughs> <laughs> everyone out there, if you haven't heard it, go oh. do yourself a favor and download the interview with Steve Snaghan. I actually added it's, about 20 seconds to that from what you yeah. actually gave me because I, I didn't know either. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> well, and, and there's the whole bit about kicking the cart onto the set because it's a feeding frenzy, <laughs> and a whole number of other things. You know, he goes on about, well, I made what I wanted because I was hungry. <laughs> the feeding kosh was good too. So, oh yes, right. You didn't have to <laughs> oh man, <laughs> single single best interview ever on radio, ever of all time in all radio broadcasting. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I smell the Emmy. <laughs> Let me ask you this real quick. Before we, get, before we go to the next one, Jeffrey, I got the sense, having listened to that thing about three or four times because it's just that good, he sounds like just a real pure soul. You know? Uh, he I, is. He, 
Absolutely. He is as he is as pure as it comes. And I wish you could have been there to to sit on the other side of the table with him and listen to him just go on the way he did. We had it was the most and and I have been blessed to do so many great interviews with so many intelligent, beautiful, wonderful, amazing and and stimulating people and yet somehow snack man <laughs> He crushed them all. He crushed them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that was that was an epic moment. That was that was just brilliant. That that was. Thank you for sharing that with us as part of our holiday special uh, because that well, that that's that's what I was well, about thank right you there. for lining up that interview because that's you know that's something nobody thinks about when it comes to television. I mean, everybody, <laughs> you know, everybody, I mean, even, you know, if they're not interested in the cast, they're interested in the crew and special effects and music and all that, but nobody thinks about the food. But you know what? When you're hungry, you're hungry. <laughs> totally, totally, totally. After that interview, he's going to have a $4 million book deal with Random House, I'm sure. Oh, uh, we can only hope. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cooking right, with Mike. Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Next one. Since Tim Choate portrayed one of our most favorite characters in the Babylon 5 universe who didn't get a tons and tons of screen time uh, and was unfortunately taken from us too soon, uh, Jeff, can you talk with us a little bit about what it was like to work with Tim? Well, um, I, I will say that not un- you don't realize how much you miss somebody until you realize that you miss them, if that makes any sense. Um, I guess it's just one of the things that you kind of put in the back of your mind, deep in the deep rest, just because it it hurts to miss them so much, and I I do. Um, uh, I can tell you uh, only of my own first-hand experiences that uh, that that very first time that Zaphyrus walked on the set, uh, that that costume and that makeup seemed to be so over the top that it it seemed like it was a mistake. It really, really did. I just, you know, there had, as John Bullich had told us, you know, there were an awful lot of experimentations with with alien characters. Mm-hmm. And when when we saw Zathras walk out, I know my first uh, impression or, or thought was just like, oh man, this is a bad idea that's gone really bad, you know? And then when it came time for him to do the rehearsal and give his first lines, and we saw the character emerge, it was such a mind-bending reversal that, oh my God, this is sheer brilliance. This is, this totally, totally, totally works. It was a wonder to watch him. You, you, you really didn't know what was coming out next. I had read the scripts. I knew the lines but I never, ever, ever imagined that they were ever going to come out the way Tim would do them. They were, they were fabulous. He, he was uh, such an amazing talent. And that was actually from the uh, podcast where we did deep geeking on Babylon Squared, and we decided it would be a good opportunity to take a moment to talk about uh, Tim Choate, who, of course, had passed away a few years ago. And mm-hmm. uh, pay tribute to his amazing work, and thank you for sharing those thoughts, Jeffrey. Um, I gotta say, it, it, it's actually kind of fun to hear that all repeated because I don't know that I could possibly articulate it any other way. I mean, he was—he was just amazing, and I'm so grateful he was part of my life. Yeah, what a great, what a great guy. And, and great for all of us. Great character. Uh, okay, Mike. Um, I think one of the other unique things that resonated with people and was was also a, something that was that was absolutely, you know, sort of synchrosync with uh, with Ron and, and Joe and, and I was that we wanted everything to work, um, you know, in space. Uh, the way that physics mean that we would have to function in a weightless environment. The things that were very difficult for us to do were, you know, obviously to do scenes outside the space station where we couldn't really, you know, do weightless scenes with folks. But 
we came up with solutions to that. But I mean, our spaceships all kind of moved that way. Um, you know, we got uh, we were recognized on two occasions for uh, you know our vision of the future of getting things kind of right by the Space Frontier Foundation, which is um, a group of of private industries that you know do stuff in space. Uh, so you know those those kinds of details really add to the richness of a show. They add to the texture of the show. Um, it's sure it's easy to make things fly like World War II fighter planes in space. It's if there was an atmosphere. I mean, they make, it makes for cool moves, maneuvers, and everything like that. But you know what? When you work within the, a zero g environment and you actually have things function that way, it can be just as exciting and just as thrilling and visual. You know, John, uh, a couple of weeks ago we had Louise Kleba on the show mm-hmm. and talked with her, and she uh, she addressed that specific issue and just commented about how wonderful it was that our science appeared to be correct on Babylon 5 and, and that they got a big charge out of that. Well, they, uh, you know, I mean, that's one. Of, I think that's one of the reasons why we uh, developed so many fans. Uh, within the uh, you know within the NASA in uh, you know space community uh, you know at at NASA for the time that we were in syndication before we went to uh, to cable on TNT the way that we, that we were uh, distributed to the stations across the across the country was by satellite and so the folks down at Johnson Space Center and at, uh, and at Cape Canaveral down in uh, down in Florida. They would bag the signal <laughs> and uh, download it, and they would they would oftentimes have lunch and watch uh, an episode of B five on the big screens in Mission Control. That was from our interview with John Copeland. That was another excellent interview that went on for uh, two for multiple five, episodes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and still to hear him say that. I mean, how cool was that, really? Oh, that, yeah. that Babylon Five was was part of the mission control and the space control people that that they would take the time out of their already busy schedules to to sit down and watch Babylon Five. I mean, well, how do you, in the rest of that that um, the continuation of that clip where he's talking about it, he recounts a tale where uh, Louise and her crew had to. Um, just after they had watched the long twilight struggle and before they had the opportunity to really sit and digest and discuss it, they were called out to the landing strip because this shuttle had just landed. And so they were going through all their routine of, you know, pulling, getting the astronauts off the craft and making sure all systems were, were go and, and that there was nothing, you know, any major difficulties with the orbiter. And they were all getting very antsy because they all wanted to sit and talk about the show they had just seen, but they couldn't because they had to get the job done. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, it, it, it's a beautiful, wonderful paradigm that the real scientists envied what we did on the television screen, and we who made what happened on the television screen envied what they do in real life, and it remains that way to this day. I mean, yeah. It's sort of strange, but beautiful at the same time. It's a special thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, Mike, let's go to the next one. Hi, Patty. Hi, guys. Hi, Pat. How are you? I'm good. That's great. I'm sitting on the uh, parking lot known as the 101 Freeway here in Los Angeles, so I hope you can hear me okay. Are are you reserving Jeffrey's spot? Because usually that's where he is. Oh, geez, this is just such a pain. So I'm glad to be talking to you. Take my mind off this. There you go. Well, we're very sorry that we keep inviting you back to talk about significantly sad things in the B5 universe, but uh, we did want to pay tribute on tonight's show uh, to the original doctor, Johnny Secca. Patty, you had the yeah. opportunity to work with him. Tell us a little bit about I what did. it was like to work with Johnny. Johnny was just, he was so gracious and such a gentleman. Um, I loved working with him, and uh, I thought he was extraordinary. When, when actors get together, we tend to talk about uh, what we are, you know, like our resumes, what we did, where we've been, who we worked with, because it's like family to us. 
So when you talk to somebody like Johnny Seca and you hear that he's worked with uh, Sir Lawrence Olivier, Sir John Gilgood, Sir Tony Richardson, you know, it's, it's phenomenal. It's so fun to, to, to listen to that. It's our history and it's our family. And um, Johnny's background, as you guys will probably talk about, is phenomenal. It's amazing. He has an intense theatrical pedigree. So it was an honor to work with him, but he, he never made you feel that way. He was just a, uh, just a down-to-earth, gracious, gracious man. Yes, and that's, um, we talked with Pat Tallman regarding the passing of Johnny Seca, who would have, that had happened, um, I guess, just that week that we did that particular show. Uh, I just, Listening to this, I just miss those people all. I miss Richard. I miss Johnny. I miss Andreas. Ouch. I know. Ouch. This is turning into the sad Babylon podcast. I know. It's like, hoo-hoo, we celebrating a year of, of Babylon podcast. And I'm like, oh, she's so piso. It's just <laughs> the most poignant well, moments are the saddest ones. Yes. Well, to absent friends and memories still break. There you go. Thank you. Well, maybe we need to lighten it up a little bit with this one. Okay, go for it. No, but that's a really good question. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just, no. I just asked that because I read, uh, I, I snagged a copy of the Crusade Writers Bible way back when, and uh-huh. I saw all of the stuff that was in there that was planned for Doreen. I'm like, oh, cool. Did she actually I know, know this? <laughs> I know. Well, I mean, I saw the Bible. I, I knew some stuff, but a lot of the stuff he didn't he didn't share with me, oh, man. which I think is much better, because Darina in real life doesn't know it either. She's living each day as it yeah. unfolds, right? So I thought that was pretty cool. It was very sad, you know, sort of what happened with the show, because all the characters were kind of going in really interesting places. And we'll I just think know. it would have been cool to see you with a sword. That's all. Yeah, hey, how could it not be cool? I mean, I'm cool no matter what I got, but give me a big sword, please. Please, sit down, have a, have a cigarette. <laughs> okay, soundbite time, soundbite time. I, I yeah. think I have to size go to doesn't the matter, Jerry. What, what? <laughs> he said size doesn't matter. But he's the guy that? running around in the big Vorlon suit. So <laughs> Who told you that? They were pulling your legs. <laughs> <laughs> they were trying to be kind. <laughs> that of now course that, was Carrie Dobro, and that was a yes. lot of fun. Uh, I I wish you guys could have been there with me as we recorded that because that was one that was the interview I did while I was at eight thousand five hundred feet in at, at in Mountain Village at Telluride yes. in the cold, <laughs> waiting for the snow to happen, and that was a a, a wonderful interview that I absolutely couldn't enjoy while we were recording it because I was cold. <laughs> <laughs> and having no snow. And no snow, right, exactly. But to listen to her talk about the excitement of having a large blade in her hand, oof, yeah. oh, I mean, her, 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 you know? <laughs> yeah, 100,000 1, geeks ran to their bunks right then. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 okay, Mike, next one. Thanks. Describe for us the first time that you had to do a scene with Andreas and what that was like. Um, the first time I let's see, the first time I met Andreas was at the uh, auditions. I think I've told this story before, but it, it's actually fairly uh, it was a, it was a wonderful coincidence that he and I were, when we initially auditioned for Babylon 5, we were called in the same day, the same afternoon, and one after each other in terms of, you know, I had the 315 and he had the 330, or he had the 310 slot and I had the 320. And that was interesting, that those two characters would be back-to-back and that we would both end up getting the roles. So we met then and talked a little bit about um, the characters. Of course, I thought he was reading for Molari, and he thought I was reading for Jakar. So at first we thought, uh-oh, who's this guy sitting across the room, and does he want my job? <laughs> when we realized we were reading for different parts, we uh, we immediately struck it off and said, what the hell are you going to do? I don't know. What the hell are you going to do? <laughs> um, 
but the uh, the actual first scene we did, I think, was probably a council scene in the in the pilot. And um, let me see. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I can't really remember. I'd have to go back some somewhere. Tim, there's a um, there's a schedule of that first pilot and how in what order we shot what. And somewhere you would find uh, the the two, those two characters crossing each other in that first day. But I don't I don't remember. I do remember the um, the wonderful synergy and that was going on for everybody in the pilot. Nobody knew what the hell we were making or how we were making it or what what, what was the final product going to be like and what did it what was it supposed to look like? We, we you know no one knew how to identify it because uh, it was just being created out of air, and there was nothing to base it on. So uh, not only the work with Andreas, but, but every single scene felt like a complete and utter crapshoot. <laughs> Where are we? What are we do? Why do I have this big hair on it? Everybody, why am I talking this way, you know? Why is, well, you know? why is everybody calling me Ambassador Malari, huh? You know? <laughs> it wasn't just Andreas. It was all of us trying to find, um, find something. That was, of course, from our wonderful interview with Peter Jurisic and uh, talking about working on the pilot and first meeting Andreas, who, of course, they had an amazing chemistry and amazing rapport with each other, apparently off the screen as well, Jeffrey. Yeah, I, you know, kudos to you, Tim, for getting that, that question in there because it's, it, it is the pinnacle of our entire year's worth of interviews. I mean, to have... Malari talking about Jakar and how the two met and how the two first interfaced, you know, that's really what it's all about right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, no, go ahead. Summer, no. don't hold back. Well, no, I'm... You, no, no, you're, you're amongst family here, Tim. <laughs> you know, come on. Let it, let it go. Uh-huh. No, I was just uh, remembering that the one thing I don't think I ever asked him during that interview was if he ever worked with Bruce Boxleitner on Tron, since they were oh, both yeah. in that movie. Yeah, I would assume that's true, because... I, I, don't, I don't know that they were actually had any scenes together, though. I don't think they did. Mm. Yeah, I don't think so either, but it's been some time since I've seen the movie. I... I think they did, but I would be hesitant to ask them because they're both so old and that was so long. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, you know what that we, means, Jeffrey. Perhaps we shouldn't raise that question, but yeah. You know yeah. what that means, Jeffrey, is next time we have them on, we say, we have a question for you, but Jeffrey says you're too old to remember. <laughs> uh, I'm yes. okay with that. Tim instigating as usual. <laughs> Okay, we got one last long one to wrap this up with. All right. The following episode of Babylon Podcast has got a guest on here who's completely out of her and then I can begin to tell you how many times she said that we so we have to continue the because she and that you know, there's no holes barred here on the Babylon Podcast. So uh-huh. I want to take you back in time a little bit to uh, a ruddy little pub in Blackpool. Okay. One evening, we were all there just getting ourselves stinking sloppy drunk. And all of a sudden, a phone, came, a phone call came in, I think, from, uh, from Ken Parks. Isn't that how it unfolded for us? Mm-hmm. To get back to the fourth, fifth season pick up the TNT deal? Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about that night for you? Sorry? Can you tell me a little bit about that night well, for no, you? Well, that, that, that night was, I had already accepted a movie um, for USA Cable, which everyone knows. This is, this, is, this is completely public knowledge. I accepted. We were told that we were done with season four. So I my manager happened to get me a leading role on a USA cable movie calling uh, that was about uh, flights called, um, oh God, what the hell was it? Uh, it, was, it was just, it was a movie of the week, but they were paying me a lot of money. It was like a hundred grand for seven days of work. And that was like a million times more than I was making on Babylon 5. 
Um, and I, I accepted the job because I knew that Babylon 5 was over. And then they came to me and they said, no, we just got the fifth season. And I said to Joe, I said, well, what are you going to make the fifth season of? Because we've already shot the last episode. He said, well, I'll save the last episode for the end and I'll you know, do some stuff that I want to do with the Rangers and blah, blah. And I was like, well, I, I have this job and it's like a hundred grand and I'm sorry, but I, I'm sorry, I've I, I moved on, you know. You guys told me the series was over, I'm sorry. Everyone got all pissed off and then I got a message saying, um, you're fired. Then I got another message saying, um, well, we will give you that time off, but we can't give you that time off in writing. And I said, well, I can't do the movie if you don't give it to me in writing because, of course, it's a company situation. They're not going to hire me. So it ended on this really bad note of, of me just saying, listen, I'm willing to play Ivanova, but I can't play her from October 13th to December 2nd. That's it. That's all I'm asking. And they went, well, we can't tell that to TNT because they want you as a lead. Well, it's quite funny to me that they would be willing to hire Tracy for eight episodes, but not hire me for eight episodes. So the whole thing was an ego fuck and a, a complete ridiculous bastardation because the fans wanted me to be there as Ivanova, and I wanted to be there as Ivanova, and and I was completely willing to be there as Ivanova. I just needed six weeks off. And actually, in essence, when you look at the schedule, it was actually only three weeks off from the Babylon 5 schedule. I could have done the movie and done the Babylon 5 series easily, but they just were bastards, quite frankly. They behaved like infants. So that's... And you know what? If anyone questions the reality of it, I have it all on paper. <laughs> I have my manager who will say, yeah, they fucked with us. And I, will, and I actually have witnesses you know, that say, yeah, they, they, they basically... I have the, the piece of paper where they said, we fired you. I mean, how dare they fire me? You know, the show was done, four seasons. We were done. We went to do this convention. It was done. And then they sent me from Warner Brothers a letter saying, by the way, you're fired. Then, two, then like two days later, I get a knock on the door when I'm in England going you need to sign here or never be in our pocket again. I'm like, oh, I would love to wear the uniform again. Just give me four weeks off. You know, and then they hire this chick, you know, who I love, by the way, Tracy, <laughs> that they hire her to take over for eight episodes. I'm like, I would have done that eight episodes in a heartbeat. I would have done all 22 except for give me 10 days off. That's all I needed, you know. So I can make you know money. Thank you because you're paying Bruce forty five thousand dollars a week, and you're paying me what five? Yeah, thanks. So yeah, <laughs> I was I was actually having the opportunity to make some nice money, and they basically fired me. So that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. And it is the well, true story. That's good. Well, thank you for for sharing that. I knew that yes. was you know I mean. I, I no, wasn't that is, that's, to the that's conversations, the but I was there watching it. Yeah, and it, no, it was obviously not pretty. honest truth. Listen, if I had any reason to lie, like, listen, I, if I would have gone into rehab or if I got pregnant, I would have said something. But no, it was that fucking petty. It was, it was down to the point where it was like, okay, I just took another job, but yeah, I'm happy to. And they went, no, 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 we want you on October 19th. And I'm like, I can't do it on October 19th because I'm going to make 100 grand to work for seven days. If you made 100 grand for work for seven days, I'll take my clothes off and I'll fuck the guy for 100 grand for seven days. Give me a break. I mean, come on. Come on, man. Yeah, well, there it is. Bring the horse's mouth. No, you know, I think that. If anybody doubt that that was Claudia Christian, then. And it keeps yeah, getting it, funnier every single time I hear it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and it it typifies what the Babylon podcast is all about. I mean, it's just a place for all things Babylon to be put on the table and yeah. for the viewer to do what they want with it. 
I mean, that, that's what we're about. That's what Tim Summer and I have set out to do from the very beginning is just, you know, get, get Babylon 5 in the real world out on the table. And, and I think Claudia's interview is, is the shining example. And kudos to you, Tim, for making that our, our final selection for the evening. I mean, that's, that's what it's about right there. That obviously we had a few more episodes, but those are fairly recent, so um, I didn't see the need necessarily to uh, review those at this time. But certainly they will be on the plate for next year, um, God's willing. Um, okay, anyway, we're done. We're done. We're done. The voicemail. The time is over. Wow. Our, we're almost an hour already. <laughs> so I, I guess we're saving those there. those voicemails for next time, huh? Mm-hmm. I guess so. They're gonna riot because we've been getting some emails about you know when are you guys going to deep geek again? We we need to deep geek a lot in a row in the new year. And well, you know yeah, and, and oh, yeah. what's what's interesting when I when I went back listening through these and and pulling the the uh, sound bites um, early on. Of course, we are just getting started up, so we didn't have a whole lot of uh, listener feedback to go through. So we'd had, had time to we do an interview, and then we'd do some deep geeking. And just in in interest of um, complete disclosure, there are about four or five episodes that have no sound bites pulled from them because it was all strictly deep geeking. Mm-hmm. So there, you people. <laughs> <laughs> Geek on this, yeah. Okay, so there. <laughs> uh, yeah, but we, we, yeah, we will get some more of those on track. And Jeffrey, I, I, I'm looking forward to a new year of surprise mystery guests and not so surprise mystery guests. Mm-hmm. Oh, likewise, Tim. I just want you to get your geek on as much as you can. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, it doesn't take much. <laughs> you well, did a great job pulling those bites out, though. You really, you did a great oh, job. That, that, those were, I mean, we've had so many wonderful conversations, and it would be so easy to sit here and just listen to all of them in their entirety intact, and oh, and it would it still be enjoyable. So. I, I appreciate just how hard it was for you to sort of like go through that and go, okay, well, this is probably a better soundbite than the others. I, that's not an easy task, and you did a good job. Well, thank you. And, and some of them, like John Iacovelli, um, I, he, it, it, it's not fair to say he rambled, but he, <coughs> you'd ask him the question, and he would cover so much ground. <laughs> and answering it, it's just like, there's there's no way to to pull out the one kernel of it. So seriously, hopefully, if if this if these this holiday extravaganza is anything, it's to get listeners who are new to the show, especially, and maybe some um, longtime listeners to go back to those episodes, and and listen to them again because I know I I rediscovered some very interesting things going through it and, and some things I had forgotten. So. Yeah, it was good fun. It was good fun. It was good to listen to these again. It's been a good year, wouldn't you say? Yes. I would say so. Yes, I would. And thanks to to you and Summer for being on the ride with me. It's been a lot of fun. And thanks to you and Summer for doing it with me. It's been a huge amount of fun. (laughs) And I want to thank Tim for dragging me into this project because this this was a show that was very very near and dear to my heart and I didn't think I would have the time to do this but I am overjoyed that I made the time. Yeah, me too. And that I dragged too much. (laughs) And that I dragged Jeff along for the ride too. Jeff, you gotta help us out, please, please. Yeah, I, I remember that first email. Guess who? Guess who's involved with this, Tim? Here's I introduced you to Jeffrey Willard. Oh my God! <laughs> and then I find out he drinks his tequila one glass at a time, just like everybody else. <laughs> Without pants. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> Jeff 
rubbing my balls with holly or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Okay, on that note. Oh, man. Well, play the music. <laughs> uh, if you want to give us your feedback, you can always send us an email at babylonpodcast at gmail.com. Merry Christmas to me. Merry Christmas to me. Or Merry leave Koshmas. us a voicemail. I have a present. Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas. 206-338-2259. You're the great work you upon us all. Happy New Year!